up on today's show, we're going to talk to Keith Smith from Yahoo about the NBA's Walt Disney World bubble idea. And we're also going to talk to Larry Kuhn about the potential CBA and salary cap implications of the league shutting down. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel and Seth Hartnett. Are you ready to be entertained? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nerder She Wrote on the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave DeFore, joined as I am each and every week by Mo DeKeel. What's up, Mo? Not a whole lot, Dave. How you doing? I'm I'm all right. And we got Seth Part now. I think his his kid is like operating a backhoe in the in the room. Is that what's happening right now, Seth? <laughs> uh, she is engineering with Play Doh. So, there you yes, go. Essentially. And uh, and joining us for the first part of the show, we got Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports. My buddy, what's up, man? Hey, man. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, listen. Uh, you know, big news for today uh, is that the league is really trying to move forward with the Disney idea. Um, you are kind of the architect, at least on the public side, of what it might look like. You you published a piece for Yahoo. How many weeks ago was that? It's been a it's been a minute at this point, right? Yeah, it was just over a month ago, April sixteenth. It came out. Yeah, and so you you reached into your own personal experience being a an employee there for twenty years. Is that correct? Almost twenty years. Yep. Yeah, and uh, kind of laid out the case for this is what it might look like if they were to do it. It seems like it might be the perfect location. Yeah, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of things that Disney has going forward is is compared to some of the other venues that have been mentioned. And, you know, we've all been to Las Vegas for some of the million times and it, it's a great venue for that. But I think the big thing Disney has going forward is the private property factor. That seems like that's one of the number one uh, things working in their favor. And I think, you know, everything else is on par with what can be offered elsewhere. But I think that private property piece, as well as the NBA Disney release, relationship also is really what's pushing it to the front. Yeah. And, and they've got the facilities, um, not just the, the hotels, they have the dining facilities, they have the staff, they have, I mean, they basically have everything you could want right there. And, and being a media partner for the NBA seems like a, a natural fit. Yeah, that's where I come from with this. It's as as all these ideas are being thrown around of you know let's go to a private island, let's play on cruise ships, which just seemed bizarre and crazy to me. I started thinking. I said, well, you know, Disney's got the hotels. That part's you know easy. And and when I say easy, I mean easy in this sense. It's none of this is easy, uh, clearly. Um, but then the basketball facilities, ESPN by world of sports complex has three indoor facilities that host basketball games on a fairly regular basis. Uh, one is the, um, HP field house hosts the advocate invitational, which is college basketball tournament every year over Thanksgiving week. Another is, uh, called the visa center. That is a, um, just a massive wide open multi-purpose facility. I've been in there where they've had as many is 15 courts set up at a time for the junior NBA world championships and also AAU tournaments. And then they have another place that's called aptly the arena doesn't have a sponsor attached to it. It was primarily built initially for cheerleading and dance competitions, but it can hold as many as three courts or really be set up arena style for one uh, big game court if need be. So the basketball facilities are there and then the bubble because it's private property, Disney can shut things down as needed and really set things up. All the facilities are brought 
broadcast ready. Our governor here in Florida, right, wrong, or indifferent, deemed pro sports as essential services quite a while ago. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the NBA-Disney relationship is really strong. Good partners both ways. Adam Silver has had Bob Iger speak to the Board of Governors about things in the past. Uh, they both talked of their mutual admiration for each other when they opened the NBA experience here on property in Florida uh, a little over almost a year or so ago. So I think all those things are really working in Disney's favor. It's interesting because it's, you know, the more I I think about it, I just kind of look at it as like, this is basically going to be the Olympic village. You know, the way the the Olympics are set up, you, you know, like you said, dining halls and everything, you know, set up for all the athletes, housing and everything. But it's very difficult to get in, right? Like it's only, it's, it's a bubble, to be honest, that, that village, you can have visitors, but there's a whole bunch of rules behind that stuff and credentials and everything like that how do you feel confident with disney just being a private property like how are they going to try to enforce that kind of stuff yeah my guess is they'll let the nba guide that then disney will be the ones who takes over and does that disney has their own private security team that operates security on property they also are work uh, heavily with the orange and osceola county sheriff department so here in florida everything is done on a county basis so we have county sheriffs versus a city or a town um set up so those the disney property actually straddles two counties so that's just to give it a sense of how big it is i don't know if a lot of people know but walt disney world is twice the size of manhattan and roughly the same size as san francisco so if that gives you any better sense 39 square miles so they've got their own security force my guess is what they'll do is wherever the players are staying that will be very locked down all those hotels have security um gates right at their entrances anyway it's not very easy to get in if you're not supposed to be in there and then the sports complex has a very actual long lead up uh roadway into the sports complex so they could shut that off very early pretty far back before you'd ever be anywhere near uh, any of the venues or anything like that. So my guess is NBA security kind of tells them what they need. And then Disney takes over the operations part of that. Is it set up in such a way that they can they can monitor like traffic out as well as traffic in not to go like dystopian future novel or anything like that. But, you know, the way this works is is there does have to be a certain amount of 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 control and accountability and, and kind of have to know where people are because obviously, you know, if something were to happen, you have to know what the contacts were and, and, and you know, who needs to be quarantined and so on and so forth. Um, so obviously, like not just controlling who goes in, but like knowing who and who's going out when and, and stuff like that is also seems like it would be um, important. Yeah, I think from well, let's talk uh, normal means of, of of egress of leaving a property. Again, there's the security gates. They they you know have to open anytime someone leaves. Anytime they open, there is a camera that instantly captures what it is that's happening. So if someone's to leave in a car or something like that, it's going to capture that. You can also um, see that you know I could see a situation where if this is what the NBA chose and agreed to, where they would have security at the doors to all the hotels that would be you know kind there in effect to say, hey, where are you headed? You know, what are we doing now? Um, the other piece is if somebody wanted to try and, you know, sneak out, like, you know, like a teenager climbing out of mom and dad's window down a, you know, cheat uh, ladder and, you know, heading off through the woods. Disney has cameras everywhere. Everything you do on property is watched. You're, you're not going to be um, able to sneak out of anywhere very easily without it being captured. And that's something I think, again, Disney working with the NBA, they could make sure those monitoring protocols are all in place. 
So I can't wait for an Ocean's Eleven type of <laughs> <laughs> action there. Let, all right, let, let's think this through a little bit because um, I, I'm of the opinion you need at least four courts to make this work, and that's four, preferably four broadcast courts, uh, two in a pinch for broadcast, but four courts because of practice and and needing to get teams to get you know reps on the court and things like that. From a broadcast perspective. My assumption is they'll want to do four games a day. This is just starting right with the playoffs. Four games a day, you know, maybe East on Monday, West on Tuesday or whatever uh, to get through this. Does that sound about right to you guys? Because there is a time crunch as well. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, I think the the uh, the flip side is not... Uh, not so much that it's a time crunch. It's almost you don't have travel days, so that so you don't have to build right. that in. So it, in that and and yes, getting it done faster in a temporal sense is also like reduces risk factors, obviously. Um, so I think those two things kind of work hand in hand to want to not space it out necessarily as much as as you would in a normal playoff setting. Combined with the fact that I think that there is probably more. Um, fan ability to watch earlier in the day given you right. know the 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 continuing prevalence of you know of people working from home uh, where possible i would do that first first couple of days march madness style and i would start them at noon eastern it'd be amazing you mean like back to back back start the game skip go back to back to back starting at noon everybody plays take a day off and then go into your four on four off so almost like the way the first weekend of the playoffs is first couple weekends, right? Right, where, where you're get, just you're just jam packed full of basketball. Yeah, I think it'd be a really great way to kick that off. So, do they have the facilities for that? They have at least two broadcast courts, correct? Well, they have the all of the arenas are broadcast ready, but yeah, my assumption has been on this is that they would use the HP Fieldhouse. That's the one that the college tournament is played in each year. That's clearly easily can be set up and been running ready to go. My my second thought was in the arena get set up arena style with another broadcast ready court in there. And then my thought was the Visa Center gets set up with several practice courts in it it can be they can be spaced they can be divided with dividers put up and the like and that's where you really you know work through practices shoot around clearly there'd have to be some form of schedule put together for the team so that you know teams aren't going to want to be in there at the same time and those kind of things but i think that can all be done with relative ease because you'd have you know the whole breath of the day and and as uh, seth said there's no travel so everybody's right there so if you say you know hey your practice is going to run from eight to ten and yours is going to run you know, from 10 to 11 or 10 to 12, whatever it may be, I think that can be done with relative ease. Okay. And so they're going to be able to do this. Let's just say logistically, they're going to be able to pull this off. They're going to be able to, to keep people away, to keep the players sort of in. Okay. Now let's talk about the human element. That's the logistical element. Let's talk about the human element. The league, in order to make this successful, I believe is going to have to levy punishment for breaking the quarantine or, or breaking the rules. Uh, that is seen as extremely harsh. That's just, that's my opinion. I, I think that it is going to have to be so potentially punitive that there is no way anyone's going to break it. And I mean like a one year suspension. If you, if you break the rules is the league 
going to be willing to do that? And would the union be willing to accept giving the league that power? I mean, that's that that's certainly the the question, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's yeah, I, again, I don't see how it works without that, because um, you're it's not just, you know, jeopardizing kind of uh, this this, you know, postseason and, you know, both from a sporting and a revenue perspective. But like worst case scenario isn't canceling the rest of the season. It's severely impacting the 2020 21 season. And then, I mean, you know, that that's, you start talking about, you know, okay, we didn't just lose like four months of games. We lost, you know, 18, 22, two, two full years. Um, then now we're, we're starting to get into some, some pretty severe downsides. Yeah. And I think that's where the relationship with silver and the, the players association kind of comes into play too. I, I feel like they have the best kind of uh, synergy than any of the other leagues. You know, Goodell and the NFL are always constantly bickering. We're watching what's going on with Major League Baseball. Like, I feel like these two parties can come together and and, and find a way to put this, to put together, like you said, Dave, uh, a rule in place. Because, you know, there is going to be some idiot that's going to try to break quarantine. It's just human nature. There's always somebody that's selfish and a group of that many people that's going to come together. And I think it's important you're you're right on in that they got to have and it be an agreement in terms of the punishment and 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 allow that to stand. And as Seth was saying, like the risks, it's it's not just this season, it's next season. But I'm confident with Silver's relationship with these guys that I feel like they can actually come to come to an agreement and make that happen. Well, look, I will say this. They they definitely have what seems to be the best union league partnership in American professional sports. It's less adversarial, but that's because times are good, right? There's, there was plenty, there's been plenty of money going around. I I don't think a lot of players necessarily feel underpaid. We've gotten through the whole cap spike thing. Um, You know, this year has been a little rocky. You had the whole China thing. So then you had a revenue drop. Now you've had this, there's going to be a revenue drop. I, I think that this is sort not a recipe for disaster because, again, they've shown the ability to work together through issues before. Uh, like Donald Sterling is, is a, a prime example. But I do worry that that the the union might might see this as a slippery slope. They don't want Roger Goodell. No, and I just think it's one of those things, though. I think, you know, he's been very upfront with the players from the beginning, even on that phone call you know, that he had with them, what was it like two weeks ago or so, you know, where he's like, look, there's, there's going to be risk involved in everything. Like, I just don't feel like Silver's trying to get one past them the way it feels like with other guys. I feel like he's very upfront with them. And I think that goes a long way with the players. And I think that's something that, that's going to carry over here. And you're right. In good times, everybody's happy, right? Winning cures all. Uh, and, and this is going to be a, a, tough situation to navigate but he's been very clear at least i felt like from the beginning of like yo this is going to be incredibly tough and we're going to have a lot of issues to have to iron out and like he's just not trying to you know slip a salary cap past them the way mlb is trying to do with their owners and things like that so i think it's there there's a little more cohesion within the league itself and, and and the players union than anywhere else that i think we we just genuinely can get to it because I think the players understand the situation. Keith, any uh, any thoughts about 
whether the uh, Disney would open the rides for players? Like, are they going to keep these guys entertained so that none of this even comes into play? Well, one of the things I was told is also giving Disney a leg up is, is it seems like they've made it clear players will be able to bring some level of family. I don't know that it'll be the 25, 30 deep entourages. Some of these guys roll with, it might be a more you know, immediate family that come with them. As far as opening the parks go, that's pretty unlikely. It takes quite a bit to get, uh, you know, theme park opened and up and running for attractions and the like and that. So I don't know that that would be the case. But one of the things that Disney does, unfortunately, part of being here in Central Florida is we have hurricanes. And when we have hurricanes, the the property shuts down and everyone is, in effect, quarantined or shelter in place in their, their resort. But one of the things Disney does a great job of is they bring in entertainment folks. They have characters there to entertain people they do all sorts of activities they'll play games all of the pools at the resorts would be open all the resorts have a minimum of two if not more pools that would be open so i think they would make sure that they have plenty of activities to keep people busy now nba players maybe aren't going to be you know overly interested in those things but if they're coming with younger kids or you know gonna you know entertain kids and you know, send them out to the pool for a few hours i think that disney will make sure that there's plenty to do but as far as actually having the theme parks themselves open that seems pretty unlikely. Has the Bucks considered it a disadvantage? Because they, I mean, the Lopez brothers might disappear into Disney World itself into just <laughs> trying to play around there without actually trying to play any games. Yeah, Robin already has a, or uh, Brooke rather, already has a house here that's actually on property. There's a, <laughs> a section of the property that they built these giant homes on and he was one of the first investors to buy a house there and he is uh here pretty regularly we see uh see him and robin both uh fairly regularly around property here that's that's hilarious keith thanks for coming on the show man absolutely thank you guys for having me i really appreciate it yeah and uh now uh we're gonna be joined by larry coon to talk a little bit about the cba joining us uh on the show to talk about some of the salary cap implications cba circumvention and maybe some other stuff. Uh, my good friend and mentor and uh, Scotch buddy Larry Coon. <laughs> How are you? What What are you drinking? Are you drinking anything right now? Right now, you know, I just two minutes ago finished my workday, so I am still on the water. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But by the end of this call, I might have to sneak over, and you know, I've got an alcohol cabinet right there, and I've got another one over there, so. That's the good thing about working from home is yeah. that I always, I always have can imbibe close to the office at the very least. Do you think you're going to go back to, to normal Monday through Friday days? We're in office? already saying so. Yeah. My day job is with the university of California, Irvine. Um, and I'm in it management and we're already making plans of coming back on a, a partial work schedule. We're figuring out the logistics of that. You know, we want certain teams to be together. If they're going to be there, be there when you can be all meeting together and, and hash all that stuff out on the same day. But the rest of the week work from home. What implication does that have on all sorts of downstream things in terms of service to the campus, in terms of, you know, even, well, do we need to be spending on all these buildings and things like that? So there's a lot to work out, but we're already thinking that we're never going to come back to a, a full nine to five, five day a week work day, or in my case, you know, seven to five, but it's time, it's time to just move me. to the four day, 40 hour week or 32 hour week or, you something know, like if, that anyway. if, noth- if nothing else, this, this crisis can be a driver for change. I mean, that's, that's when change happens, right? It's when, when circumstances require it. And then you, do it and then you say oh yeah that works 
Yeah. I go back. All right. Well, In- speaking of change, wait, wait, Seth. Well, I just cut you off. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say that in this industry, like we're always sort of kind of always working anyway. Like it, the, the delineation between work and not is fuzzy anyway. Uh, yeah. But, you know, in, in the old environment, at the end of the day, when I left my office and drove home, I had that physical separation from the office, which was also a mental separate. You know, it was a delineate. It was a line of demarcation between I'm working and I'm not. Do I get home and still do work stuff? Sure. But now I never get away from it. And it's it's I, there's been many times where at seven o'clock an email will come in and say, OK, I got to deal with this. And I deal with that. And then I do something else and I do something else. And then it's 11 o'clock. I'm going, where'd my evening go? Yeah, you got to get to have clear lines of demarcation. Like I, I only work in the office. That sounds like parenthood. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. But yeah. I, but people have solved this problem already. And you guys included, you know, Dave, you never go into an office anywhere. So just, just in my house, that's it. Well, exactly. And, yeah. and just out of deference for my family, you know, I've got an office upstairs, but I'm not using it. I'm downstairs because just getting that physical separation keeps us from being on top of each other. And if somebody's doing one thing, I can be down here on a podcast talking away and not be disturbing them. There you go. All right. Let's, let's jump into uh, the salary cap. Just like, you know, everybody wants to do uh, only talk about, money and numbers uh the league is taking a hit financially it's gonna take a hit until fans are back and businesses back to normal how is this going to reflect in the salary cap next year and going forward i i had this idea that the union might be sold on cap smoothing when it keeps the salary cap up do you think they'll buy it this time um One piece of good news is that the salary cap is always set based on what they project the income to be for this upcoming season. So what happens this year in the 2019-2020 season really has no direct bearing on what happens next year in the 2020-21 season. If we come back, whatever the start date is for the 2020 season, if we come back and we have a full regular season and the, the revenue streams are back in place. There is no reason to think that the cap would be set any lower than you would normally expect it to be. Okay, so what are our variables here? One is, what if the this pandemic lasts a long time and we're still in this situation come next season? What happens if there the downstream effects from the current pandemic, even if they're solved by then, what if the downstream effects are still felt next season? And then the third one is, what if, as we were talking about, different setting new rules, right? What happens if we say, oh, the season's going to start in on December 25th, and to accommodate that, maybe we're going to shorten the season a little bit, and now we are changing the rules to cause the revenue to be lower. Well, in any of those circumstances, we're going to say, okay, the salary cap has to be set to the point where whatever the revenue is going to be, the players get 50% of it. That's the whole point of the salary cap. It, it aims the cannon, right? And you hope that you're shooting it so that it's going to land right at that point where the players end up, by virtue of the contracts that they signed, get the amount of money that they should be getting. 
And just like aiming a cannon, right? If you aim a little bit too low this year, well, next year you aim a little bit higher. If you aim too high, next year you aim a little bit lower. Those are like the fine adjustments. Cap smoothing is more of a gross adjustment. Now, they can't base the cap next year on the revenues this year, which is what they typically do, because what's the best guideline for what the revenues are going to be next year? Take this year's, bump it up a little bit, and that's basically what you're going to be at next year. That's out the window here. So they'll throw out that formula. They won't use that this year as a basis for what they'll do next year, and they'll agree to what the value should be. Now, except for those three things I talked about, the value should be that they said shouldn't be grossly affected by the fact that the cap is lower this year or that the revenues are lower this year. Okay. So then how do they come up with the number for next year? Uh, the league and the – what they do every year, right? Yeah. Every year, there, there's that formula. They take the known value for national TV revenue because that, that number is set, and they take all the non-TV revenue and you know, gate, parking, concessions, jersey sales, everything else, and say 4.5% on top of that. Add that all together, that's their estimate. So, And then it goes to the league and the players association to get together and then agree to a final number. They'll do. They'll skip that first part, they'll go straight to the second part. They will run models and say, this is what we think is going to happen next year based on what we're, what we're seeing and what we're talking about. And on that basis, they'll say, this is what we expect revenues to be. And therefore, here's how we set the cap. And how big of a hit is it for them if there are no fans in the arena? Well, what was the, the thing that we were saying that, um, <laughs> that the gate is like 60% of yeah. revenues? No, I, I thought they were saying that they – the the in arena is forty percent now to me that okay. means that's, that's oh, the in arena thank you thank yeah you. That's, that's that's like to me that's parking concessions merch yeah merchandise yeah now I you know believe that or not you know it's it it, uh, it, it wouldn't be the um, the I think you know we can we can draw the parallel to baseball where there's some 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 claims going on about like how much money will be lost if there are, if fans aren't in arenas that are kind of head scratchy. So there's, um, you know, the, the, the accounting can, might be creative here. Let's say it that way. Well, the NBA teams have done creative accounting for years. I mean, this is how you have so many teams looking like they're losing money at the end of the year. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's depreciation and amortization of the cost of buying the team in the first place. That was part of the, uh, disagreement between the league and the players association in 2011 when they had the lockout. So yeah, there's that. Um, and there's also um, some TV revenue, maybe like, let's say that they do decide to come back this year for an abbreviated season, right? What do you prioritize? You prioritize the games that were going to be on national TV. You satisfy your your big TV contracts. Well, maybe you know the non-playoff teams, especially, but any any of their games that weren't going to be on national TV get deprioritized, and perhaps they just end up canceling them officially. Well, any local TV revenue from the local agreements for those games obviously gets lost. It's not as big of a hit as the national TV revenue, but it's still a hit, and it's an effect on the bottom line. What do you think they ought to do to try to mitigate this stuff? I mean, coming back, should they try to play a few of the regular season games? Uh, should they just jump straight to the playoffs? Like, if if Larry Kuhn was able to make a decision here, 
with only the financial health of the league at stake, like what's the what's the right move? I, yeah, I, I can talk to Adam Silver. He not not necessarily listen, right? <laughs> um, to me, the bigger thing is um, there's going to be a hit this year, regardless. And what do we do in terms of containment, right? Because to me. My priority would be whatever happens this season, let's try to come back next season as normal as possible and make sure that the the far downstream effects don't continue to hurt us, even if that's a big hit this year. First of all, as however big of a hit it, it is this year, the league and the Players Association have an agreement, up or down, the players get about half of the revenue. So if revenues are down, the players are taking about half of that hit. So you're you're containing it. You're also containing it by the fact that you haven't spent a lot of money over the past couple of months on travel. <laughs> you know, on, um, on, on you save some on, on the salaries, um, hotel expenses, things like that. So you're you're not spending quite as much money either. And that's going to help to balance it. Maybe it's at the point where you can say, all right, we're going to contain it. We're going to take the hit this year, err on the side of caution in terms of everybody's health and well-being, and try to get to a later point where we can then open the season and have as normal a season as possible and resume normal operations. Okay. And uh, would expansion be one way to help the league kind of get through this? I mean, for sure. years, so, I've said they should be expanding. We've got so much talent. Uh, you know, there, there's a prime location in Seattle that could use a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we could figure out wherever we, the we other have, one goes. Did, did you hear my my suggestion for the team name? Which is? Well, yeah, you know, forget Sonics. There's a much better <laughs> name now. The Murder Hornets. Oh, God. I mean, listen, the Murder Hornets is going to be a minor league baseball team by <laughs> by next summer for sure. Because the murder hornets are just going to take over the country. Like we basically now all work for the murder hornets. That's what basically, we're here yeah. for. Uh, but but expansion. How can the league use expansion not only to expand the league, add two new teams, but to help prop them up financially? Right. So here's the the theory. You're losing money. Maybe there's other sources of income that you can bring in now to help fill the, the bucket that that you just lost. Um, expansion. Um, Deposits are, are a great source of that. And, you know, number one, if if there are people ready and willing to buy in, right? Because it's essentially the value of a franchise that somebody writes a check for, right? So here's $2 billion. And if it's two teams, here's $4 billion coming in from somebody to, to help prop you up. And that goes to the, the teams that is going to help make up for the loss in revenue that they just had. The other nice thing about that particular source of income is that that source of income is not shared with the players. Well, good for the owners. Good for the owners, right. So (laughs) they they get the whole thing. It's not not split 50-50 with the players. Um, the, the, The downside of that is that you're now diluting the the um, revenue in future years across more teams. So, 
But that's the case with expansion whenever you contemplate expansion, right? Here's here's some money now in exchange for your you're slicing the pie a little bit thinner every year in perpetuity. Um, but if you want to use, if you want to, pro- and it's going to happen eventually anyways, right? right. We don't think that the league is going to stay at 30. We think it's eventually going to go to 32 at some point. So the question is when, and you're really talking about your, for the exchange for $4 billion, you're just diluting that you're slicing it thinner a little bit sooner. The other nice thing is maybe there's a balance you can strike there because, you can ask for the money now, but you can come to an agreement for when the expansion team starts playing. So maybe we say, okay, we're not going to start until the 2024-25 season, just to pick a number at random. But you need to get your franchise fee in this year. And that would make some sense because I think that starting it with the new TV deal would even make some some sense. And that'll be Possibly, 2024, yeah. is that correct? Sounds right. Yeah, I think it's 2024. Okay, now this is a little bit more fun, but I I had to get your opinion on it because um, mostly just because I think it's funny. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie started a GoFundMe um, (laughs) trying to raise money in Bitcoin, which, you know, we can have a conversation about blockchains and and, uh, digital currencies at at a later date. Um, Yeah, somebody commented, (laughs) and it may have even been Seth, right? Either... Spencer Dinwiddie understands Bitcoin better than anybody else in the world, or he understands Bitcoin worse than anybody else <laughs> in the world. There is no middle ground here. And, and, uh, but it brought up an interesting point. I had people asking me and, and, you know, it looks fishy to me, but I also think having LeBron's pizza joint inside the Staples Center is technically a circumvention of the salary cap. So I might be a, a bit hardcore when it comes to this. So I needed to get the master's opinion. Um, if this had fin- if gone through to fruition, let's say they hit that $24 million and he actually takes the money. Is that a technically a circumvention of the salary cap? It is so much in the gray area. It's really hard to say. I mean, you can argue it both ways, right? You could say that this is not income from the league. This is the income from a third party. And his choice of where to sign is his choice. And tying the two together may not be technically illegal. And as as we were talking, how is this different from you know, ostensibly Nike saying, well, you, you get a bigger contract if you're signing in a major market, yeah, which, which is in effect doing, accomplishing the same thing. It's also circumvention. Yeah. Now this, uh, whichever form it takes, this is bad optics for the league and the league is not going to like it. And they're certainly not going to like it in the form of a GoFundMe with fans getting, getting to, to roll their money at, at the problem. I mean, all you do in this in this scenario is you open up uh, players to being subject to fans yelling at them saying, we pay your salary. Right. Right? Right. It's just a bad idea all around. But I, I did need Which to Which they check. say anyways. But, <laughs> right. but yeah, now they have... <laughs> Now they're going, and here's my receipt. Right. Now they have a legitimate argument. Uh, you know, at, at what point do you then get, like, fan input on how a player plays? Like, hey, man, you're not shooting enough mid-range jumpers. Need you to – I don't know. Seth, like, think about the, wor- the worst actors on this and how they would be about Yeah, they, they, the league wants them at arm's length, right? Yeah. They, they do not want that Actually, kind of Actually, six feet of away once they come back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I mean, for people who love college basketball, they'll love this. This is the this is the hundred dollar handshake kind of kind of you know professionalized. So yeah, of course, the people who want to see mid range jump jump shots and floor slapping and and you know, all all that fun <laughs> stuff we we love about the NCAA game uh, will will be all about this because it's the same. It's it's essentially the same system, just you know, taken to its natural kind of absurd extreme. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Well, well, and then, then, and then the other thing that yeah. that I was commenting on. Okay, Spencer Dimwitty asking for twenty four million dollars on GoFundMe ain't going to get it, right? But what's it a slippery slope toward, right? What happens if LeBron James says, "All right, I'll do that," uh, five million dollars, right? Is is some super fan out there going to say, "I'll throw five million bucks at LeBron"? Yeah, I mean, somebody would. Uh-huh. I mean, again, it's just like a booster. Yeah. And then, and, and, you know, this, this would be a great way. Uh, don't steal this idea, NBA governors, but, uh, this'd be a great way if you wanted to circumvent the salary cap and still get, uh, top players. Right. Um, you know, you, you get a rich booster. Well, this is why Seattle can't have a team because then it would be, uh, uh, Bezos would just be like, yeah, bring him here. Cause he misses the Sonics and there we go. Yeah. It's, I mean, after he purchases the moon, <laughs> right? I, I'm sure that that's where this is all going. Larry Kuhn, you're the man. Thank you for coming Thank you, on sir. the show. Good to see you guys. That's going to do it for today, folks. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review. All that good stuff. Uh, thanks to Keith. Thanks to Larry. Thanks, as always, to Mo and Seth. And we'll be back next week with more Nerdish She Wrote. I just want a picture of Giannis on the teacups. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.